Welcome to the BBC. No, stop it. No, it's all right. No. Brace, brace Belden's caress. <laughs> Welcome to it. Do you Ugh. like that? It was just a little tip of your knee right there. Would you like a shoulder? No. Get away from me. I can't reach stop that far it. without yes. our mics overlapping. Uh, would you like another? Would you like? No. A, would you like to tune in? Only way I know you're a British person is you're trying to touch me. No, <laughs> that's not true. You're an adult. <laughs> What the fuck accent was that? No one ever knows what accent you're doing. Who is it? It's crazy that I can do that. I say, you know what I should say is that you should coin a new thing, which is that this is the accent of the Commonwealth. And then just let people think about it and then you run away. Yeah, I'm mixed up. You don't have to deal with it either. Yeah, I'm full Commonwealth. I'm everything. I'm a historical Commonwealth too. I go from South Africa. Sure. To Australia. Yeah, hop on over. To the banks of Montreal. Absolutely. Well, that's not. Legally as it is. And England, the Commonwealth. I got to tell you something. <laughs> I want to get something off my chest before you introduce ourselves. Okay, I was going to say. There needs to be federal hearings on air travel. Oh, my God. Here we go. This you disagree man, with me? I haven't said anything. Okay. Well, I'm just saying, you travel just a little bit straight on down south uh-huh. to Florida, which, by the way... Mm-hmm. It wasn't that long ago. You said, "Oh, I just got that." Yeah, I, that's true. I didn't. Florida, 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 and now you are just full on. We got to commandeer the airlines. Well, I'm saying and this. the airports. I'm in this airport yesterday, Key West Airport. I'm doing that teeny I'm, tiny little thing. Teeny, yeah. Oh, believe me. If I had a nickel for every time someone said teeny tiny little thing to me in the past few days, oh my god, let me tell you, I'd have enough to buy five gumballs. And in Florida. Um, I'm in this airport, 800 sweaty, chin-strapped revelers Mm. returning to their homes, and little old me. I'm doing uh, diamond push-ups in the terminal. Sure. Or I'm doing a diamond (laughs) push-up. and uh, Very carefully. Some fucking, yeah, it's really slow. Uh, Some voice gets on the intercom and it's like, due to a minor security breach... Which they weren't talking about you. They weren't talking about me. I'd been in the airport for a while. Yeah. yeah Nothing minor Tapping about guys' you. feet in the fucking stalls. Yeah. And. Uh, wide stance. Wide stance <laughs> in the stalls. And uh, he's like, due to a minor security breach, everybody has to leave the airport. And I was. I've never about? heard of this. I've never heard of this in my life. All 800 sweaty revelers are forced I'm to. calling them revelers. They were, a lot of these people were. Were they still mid-revel? Some, uh, many smelled of seltzers. Sure. Uh, and how we had to leave the airport and then single file come back in. Single file? Single file come back in. Did people do it? What are you going to do? Stay in Key West? There's no, nowhere just, to no, go. No, did they single file, I mean. We had to single file. There was only one guy to let you in. Interesting. And they could manage the single file. They couldn't manage the single file. I get on the plane. I'm going to tell you this. These seats are too small. Oh, because you're on tiny plane. I'm on tiny. Well, this is actually mid tiny plane. There's not enough. Pla- I'm, you know, I'm, you know me. Now, are the seats too small? Or are you too big? No, I'm. Oh, believe me, I'm small on the airplane. <laughs> I take, I do sideways profile. I sit like this. You can't see it, listeners, but I sit on this my side, directly facing the person next to me to make my profile sure slimmer. and make them more comfortable. Exactly, because I can. It gets cold in airplanes, and my hot breath kind of heats them up. There's not enough room for people's bags. Oh yeah, that's a whole. That's a new. That's thing. a crazy thing. No one. Well, now because also everyone's losing their bags. Everyone's losing their and bags. And so, welcome to airport talk. By the way, everyone's losing their bags. What's the deal? With- and so now everyone, smart little brains, big brain style, are like, no, I'm bringing carry on. Yeah. But now there's not enough room for the carry on because the carry ons. So then they bigger. say, oh, you brought a carry on. Too bad. Too. You're too slow. Slow mo. You got here late. Now you got to check it. Now you got to check it. But it's free now? Yeah, I don't know. And uh, yeah. This is what I don't get. The other thing, too, all these comics used to complain about airplane food. What's the deal? 
My, I'm not even asking what's the deal with airplane food. I'm asking, where is the airplane food? <laughs> I don't think you get it anymore. Not a morsel to be no, had. No little upon tiny this bag flight. of nuts. Tiny bag of nuts, yeah. And then what? You're gonna give me a little thimble full of Sprite to wash it down with? Oh yeah, the thimble cup is a real. This shit Try was asking cr- just. Oh, could I have just the bottle of water? No, nope. no, no bottle of water. Wouldn't want to pollute on this jet plane that no. we're on. Let me fill it all with ice. And you know when you flush on those things, that thing just it just goes out the bottom. Oh my god. It's yeah. That's not. Anyways, <laughs> I had to tell you. There needs to be federal commissions on this. These uh, airlines are totally unregulated. <laughs> they really, yeah, they. They really, it's the wild yeah. west out there. Yeah. Anyway, everyone. <laughs> I'm, I apologize for all of that. My name is Liz. I wish that you weren't Liz saying that, but the CEO of every airline company to me, Brace Belton, <laughs> and our producer, of course, travel uh, blogger Young Chomsky, <laughs> the points guy, the points guy. Every time you just try to Google a thing, it's like the points guy comes up. Who is this guy? You know what's gonna make me sound really fucking stupid? Mm. You know those credit cards? Like, yeah. if you get a Gap credit card, is your bank the Gap now? No. What? <laughs> Are you taking your checks to the Gap? I don't have credit cards. The Bank of Yeezy. I feel like Gap doesn't exist. I have a Yeezy, Yeezy credit card. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have a red Gap credit card. Oh, red, like yeah. Bono style Bono's. with the parentheses? I don't even know what those guys are raising money for. I think it was AIDS. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well. What else do we want to talk about? I gotta say, mice, like for computers. <laughs> no, they're wait. You know, real smaller, quick, one last thing on the airplane. There's like six buttons on Young Chomsky's mouse. What are these for? It's for gaming, I think. It's definitely not a gaming mouse. Um, it looks very ergonomic. Mm-hmm. Um, one last thing I'll say about the airlines. Now, this is a little interesting fact I found out. Apparently, one of the big reasons for the pilot shortage. Mm-hmm is because of the huge growth of the private plane industry. Really? Yeah. So Who's now taking these things? Everyone. Everyone charters. Not ev- not everyone we know. We don't know anyone that. But every insane wealthy person, of which there are many, charters, flights. Every well, celebrity charter. Like, that's insane. Remember where you'd be like a kid and be like, oh, my, you know, someone, so-and-so ran into someone on the airplane. Yeah. And it was like a cool story. Oh, he saw, he saw Vince. Yeah. My friend saw um, Vince. <laughs> shit, what is that guy's name? Oh God, why are we Shailene, so bad at Shailene podcasting? Woodley? No, no, the, the oh Andy Dick. My friend saw Andy Dick oh, on it. That's the worst guy to see on an airplane. <laughs> yeah, I think he was waste. I turn around and get my ass off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's either do a prank or Talk he's gonna grab her who's boob. Probably turning to their side because they're so oh, small and skinny. Could you and imagine on you? you and your wife are like going to Barbados? And Andy Dick's in the middle, just fucking plum wine. The middle? Yeah, he's in the middle. Oh, because you try to do the smart thing yeah. where you're like, oh, you take the window, I take the aisle. No, no one's going to choose the, the middle. middle. No one takes the middle? Dick takes the middle. And then, he, God, and then he, Jesus Christ. Um, What's up with that guy now? I don't know. Another he's thing I want to- not well, right? No, he ain't okay, man. Yeah. something wrong with that fella. Yeah. I, I never really found him very charming. He, he was like Tom Green, but more abhorrent. Yeah. And somehow around more. I don't like, he's like, I, 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 I don't. What happened to Tom Green? Oh, you don't know? No. That's what the, that's why they did red. <laughs> what? Oh, green, red. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. No. Uh, Tom Green is, I think, still around, but like not anywhere we would see him. Mm. One thing I want to bring up too. <laughs> this is what we call the airing of the grievances. A lot of times you look at people comments on our Patreon or whatever, which we have, and there are many more episodes available at. This is the first time in 300-something episodes that we remembered to do that. Um, a lot of times people will be like, oh, how come they talk so much before the regular no part? No one says that. People be saying that, which is a, a cool way to say A small percentage of people be saying that. I want to I I ask you this. Next time I would like, next time that you attend the symphony, if you ever do, <laughs> You're going to see the Nutcracker. I want you to go down into the orchestra, orchestra pit, and I want you to assail 
every single person tuning their instrument down there <laughs> and being like, no, you shouldn't do this. When's the nutcracker start? No, I want to hear the nutcracker. I want to hear the don't Don't tune. Let me just hear the, please just play the nutcracker. Can you give me the timestamp for this show of the nutcracker when the nutcracker starts? You know what you should do after you do that? Let me tell you what you should do. You should take the advice of a certain monk in Vietnam who was protesting. Okay, hold on. The regime of the Catholics that were in charge of that country and their oppression of the Buddhist minority. And I want you to go right into your nearest town square. Douse yourself in a little bit of kerosene. All right, let's And then just... be like, this has gone far enough, but you guys know what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm gesturing towards. Exactly. I just want you to say towards that. something. Exactly. Then I want you to fall onto a candle. <laughs> Which wouldn't be enough to do no, anything there. Don't do any of that. But this is a good point you raise. Yeah. I like this little metaphor. I'm just like, you know what? The artist needs to... What you're saying is we're tuning our instruments right now. We're tuning right instruments by talking about airliners. <laughs> you know, whatever. We do what we want. What about that? Check defense? this out. Start we- your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get Tom on here. Wait, one last thing. What? Did we say, but it's been three years. Happy anniversary. That's true. Three years ago on July... 23rd. 23rd? 20... Jesus Christ, both Young Chomsky and I know this off the top of our head, and you... I got a lot going on back can't then. Even, yeah, you're, you're going to Florida. You're going on vacation. That was not a vacation. July 23rd of 20... 19, we all met for the first time. <laughs> and we've been doing episodes. Why am I having to be the one who has to talk about this? I don't know. You, you just started. I don't have anything but to say. But you're doing just... the thing where you have your hands in your lap and you kind of look at me like this. Like no, I have to talk. I'm just doing that the whole time. You know, Liz, why don't you give a three-minute spe- uninterrupted speech right to. now about first us doing all, a podcast for three that's years? That's not – I don't. I'm not here to speechify. Uh-huh. I just wanted to say – it's been swell. It's been swell. And love you guys. Love you guys too. And here's to three more years. Let's let's just take it a day at a time. All right. Here's to taking it a day at a time. Mm-hmm. And with that, let's get on with the show. Dong, dong, <laughs> dong, creak, shump, shump, shump. As you hear the footsteps go up the stairs of the old bailey, the skeletons creaking underneath their graves, you think to yourself, well, I've been here, a bewigged British judge, for nigh on 90 pence years, and a tuppence besides. And in all that time, since I pulled the sword from the stone, since I pulled the gavel from the bench, I've never seen the likes of a prisoner like this. And all right, for this part, Tom, I'm your American lawyer. Hold on, what's going on here? You cannot execute this man just for the charge of Coming back to Truanon, that's right, we have with us today Tom Fowler back for round three um, to talk to us, one of our most requested guests, one of our most beloved guests, both from the team and from the audience. Uh, we're talking Spy Cops, episode three. Tom, how you doing? Welcome back, and I'm sorry for the intro. <laughs> I'm good, man. That's a great Australian accent. Good work. <laughs> I love when, uh, when before we started recording, Tom was like, "Have you done your goofy British accent yet?" And we we're like, "No, we're not going to do I'm not it." Do that this time. <laughs> yeah. Well, technically, I did. And you didn't. Great. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm incapable of doing a British accent. I can only because Australian accents are so much funnier. Yeah, you could you could try you could try Welsh accent one day, man. Try try Welsh accent next time I come on. Yeah, though uh, I can speak fluent Welsh, I choose not to because I feel it's <laughs> I feel like it, our listeners feel like it's condescending. Yeah, uh, yeah, fair Tom, play. Tom, we have you back here in the tower um, to talk about recent updates in in Spy Cops, and you know, actually, before we really get into it, 
Would you be able to give our listeners, perhaps some new listeners, because it's been a year since you've been on, mm. Uh, mm. A, a summation of what is the Spy Cops case? Yeah, sure. So I guess like the, the story starts with the exposure of guys like 12, fucking hours, 12 years ago now, um, where an undercover police officer was exposed uh, by activists um, who he was deployed within. Uh, and which led to the like the, the unraveling of it. Turns out that there was two groups uh, in the British police: the Special Demonstration Squad and the National Public Order Intelligence Unit, who were sending undercover, office, undercover officers into political protest groups for five-year deployments uh, from 1968 onwards. Uh, these officers would infiltrate the lives of all sorts of progressive groups, um, anti-war groups, animal rights groups, environmental groups the, across the left. Interestingly, not the far right, um, and seek to gather intelligence, but would not, um, and dis- also to disrupt, but but wouldn't gather evidence for a court case. Unlike normal undercover cops who kind of go, were deployed, and then there's a day in court, and they go, oh, I've got all this evidence. These guys would just deploy for five years, and then they would disappear, and they'd be replaced by somebody else who would carry on that sort of that that path of deployment. Um, yeah, and they, they, they've been doing it for uh, since '68, since the uh, a particularly big anti-Vietnam War protest that happens in in London. Um, as part of their deployment, it turned out that they were using the identities of dead children, which they were stealing. They were um, uh, deceiving women into long-term intimate relationships. Uh, uh, they were subverting democracy in lots of ways, all sorts of groups that were maybe not considered in any kind of way of a threat by most ordinary people, uh, campaign groups, anything which made the cops look in a bad light, they were infiltrating those groups uh, mm. and behaving very much outside the law. Uh, this led to like a number of um, legal cases being brought by women, some of whom had, uh, had children with these officers not knowing that they were undercover cops. Um, that led then to a public inquiry being called in 2015. Um, obviously, with the, the British justice being the fastest you can buy, it's mm. been like seven years, and we've just got through like tranche one of that. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's the, like the short version. Well, I mean, we should we should we should neglect to mention too that this also you know personally affected you. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I think I, it would be worth saying that I think if you were involved in any form of radical politics from uh, 1968 through to 2010, uh, it probably affected you too, but you just don't know it yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking everything from, you know, sort of the most like, uh, you know, stuff-shirted Trotskyites to, you know, anarchist, mm. green kind of anarchist groups to, yeah. you know, children's groups to women's groups. Mm. Really, I mean, and no group too small either. I mean, some of these, some of these organizations had like 20 people in them. Yeah, I mean, some of them had three, um, and like they were, they were, they were like, they were, I mean, particularly when they were infiltrating the Maoists, they were like, you know, splits hey. upon splits, which sure. led to, you know, like undercover cops setting up their own little parties with like, yeah. two other people, whose the entire role of the party was to denounce the other parties, you know, I mean, just, just some real classic sort of leftist infighting yeah. uh, information we've got through this process. I'm looking I think one it. thing. Too that's really marked the um, you, you know the what makes the spy cops case so unique in terms of you know comparing it to like similar cases in in the U.S. with how the police has infiltrated leftist groups is the role that these cops played like marrying women, having children with women, mm-hmm. having these kind of um, y- you know complete and total double lives and and infiltrating social circles in a way that was just completely and totally, I, I think, just traumatic and, and destructive and horrific on so many different levels. Mm. There's been a number of women that have come forward to kind of um, give testimony during this, the course of these, these inquiries, right? Mm. Yeah, there has. In fact, um, some of them have ju- ju- written, just published some books, uh, which mm. are well worth your time. If Small Town Girl by Donna McLean, and okay. uh, Deep Deception uh, by Helen Steele, Alison, Belinda, and Lisa, um, which both were well worth reading. Uh, I mean, essentially, the, the the whole sort of story was broken open by these women. Um, it's in some cases these men, like you know, 
part of the, the, the relationships weren't like some sort of collateral sort of uh, intrusion has been suggested by the cops. It would appear yeah. these were very much, this was the tactic with which to very deeply embed these officers into groups very quickly um, through these relationships. So they would target these women with like being the sort of ideal partner to these women. So obviously when they left, there was a lot of trauma about how they left, um, which led some of these women to spend years trying to find them afterwards, mm-hmm. which led them on to just make, come up with the idea that maybe these men had been undercover cops um, and, you know, it, it took them in some cases decades to get to a point where this was confirmed and they were no longer thought of as mad by their friends and family and is actually completely true and a matter of public record. God, I mean, yeah, yeah that's just like trauma heaped on trauma yeah. heaped on fucking, mm. I mean, that would that would drive anyone insane. Um, mm. You know, Tom, you mentioned that there's, there's a couple of books that have come out. There's a couple of, of television shows too, and it's sort of, I know, I know that there have been. I think as far back as yeah. 2016, at least, at least involving sort of spy cops a, as a storyline. And I really, I mean, it's it's hard to gauge from over here because the spy cop scandal is literally a non-story in, in the US. US. Yeah, no yeah. one has heard like, of it. It's this is. Yeah, I mean, I think even people who are pretty clued into politics or like at least you yeah. know you know news news heads, even people who clued into British politics, I'm yeah. not sure they know about exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, it's true. How do you gauge it over there? Is there, is there, is there like, I mean, what's the amount of um, sort of public scrutiny or, or, or public attention that this stuff is given? I mean, it's incredibly limited. I mean, you mentioned like TV. There's been some recent TV show. I think it was the BBC called Sherwood, which was like a TV drama that like used the spy cops thing as like a, a major driver to its plot. Um, mm. I mean, that got more media coverage than the last hearing of the inquiry. Um, yeah. significantly more <laughs> coverage. I mean, it was quite depressing how many articles were written about that, speculating on which one mm-hmm. was the spy cop than there was about the actual inquiry with the real, oh, who are, who are these spy cops, you know? But I mean, I, I'm, like, I'm not a fan of TV drama. I don't really follow that kind of stuff. So like, uh, I didn't watch it or anything. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, weirdly, it seems like that sort of stuff had has a bigger role to play in public awareness of these things than like the actual facts, which is, <laughs> depressing really but um yeah i mean for the most part it's it's not a story um it, it was a story when it first broke because it mm-hmm. was um it's quite sensational there's a lot of sex involved with it so obviously that kind of got a bit of uh, interest uh from the tabloids uh but then there's a thing these days where tabloids kind of feel they followed it they've done it they kind of it was about the sex thing that's kind of it that was their interest that's kind of it, you know. And I don't think they really, there's no really interest in the wider sort of ramifications of the fact that every progressive movement in British society was infiltrated and destabilized and undermined systemically 50 years. That aspect of it is not really like, no, nobody mentions that at all. But I think uh, slowly, like the, the concept that these units existed is becoming like kind of a given. You know, but you get that sort of thing of people going like, oh, we know that, we know that. And it's like, well, yeah. we know. But we don't know the detail. We don't know exactly what, yeah. you know. But, yeah. yeah, and I think the details here are important, especially if we're parsing. I mean, this is, in some cases, very recent history. But right. even just the history of the sort of, uh, you know, post-68 left in, mm. in, in Britain. Um, you know, uh, wh- one thing that sort of strikes me is that, like, the actual granular detail that these police operations took on when they were when they were seeking out targets when they were going into people's lives i mean i know that we we covered this in past episodes but it is it is nothing short of astounding the knowledge that the the police had of just like these people who were i mean and i don't mean this in like a um in an insulting way at all but you know in the grand sort of historical scheme of things relatively unimportant people Right. right, like yeah, you know, yeah. we're not. They they weren't exactly like you know on the on the sealed train to to Russia with Lenin. Like you know, they were they were at like potlucks uh, where people were talking about yeah, yeah. you know uh, chaining themselves to a power plant. Yeah, I mean, in some cases, people had files opened on them because they were bought a copy of Socialist Worker, which was a Trotskyite newspaper. Okay, well, with that, I've opened files on people for the same thing, but that's. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it seems to te- and like you know a lot like. Um, a lot of people, whilst as children, you know, had attended some demonstration and they got a file opened on them. What we're really starting to kind of get a sense of through the inquiry is that, you know, once a file is opened, it needs feeding. 
and that like even though these you know a lot of these files um people don't really get up to much but there was there was a file opened on them because they were you know close to an undercover cop at some point in their life mm-hmm. and then it becomes a self-fulfilling thing because they've been reported on once then they're a person of interest so right. this is like in a feedback loop where like yeah, their, con- their files are constantly being updated and undercover cops are monitoring them for years to come because they right. were once monitored, you know? Yeah, that's something we've talked about before too is just that, you know, with them infiltrating these, you know, like you said, sometimes like three-person groups, mm. right? Because the program had grown and expanded so much and resources were already, it was, you know, the, the wheels were already in motion. They had to even just find places and people to infiltrate, Mm. And kind of give, you know, reasons for, you know, their program to keep existing. And so you see them in like smaller and smaller. And, you know, so you, it's that same sort of kind of feedback loop that you would see kind of mirrored yeah. with their surveillance. I mean, one of the things we saw at the, this latest round of the inquiry was the disclosure of a lot of the uh, annual reports, which mm. like kind of gave, their, which was their justifications basically for why they needed continued funding. And I mean, in some of the years that has, you know, been declassified, not a lot happened. Uh, yeah, they're kind of they're, they're having really like you know grasp at some very thin straws. You know, they were talking about the Angry Brigade right into the early nineteen eighties. Like, been ten years since anything had happened, but they were yeah, yeah. Like, at any moment they could restart. You know, this kind of but that, that somehow the the left were just like kind of biding their time, looking for an issue they could jump on to like restart their campaign of chaos on the streets. You know. Um, but, I mean, yeah, like, like a lot of these institutions, they've got a budget, they've got a remit. Um, they want to just keep it going and keep expanding it and, and keep increasing their budget as much as they can for as long as they can, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned this recent round of inquiries. And so, you know, for those who, who might be like, well, how come Tom's coming on in such, you know, a year and then another year and then another year? Um, it's because this, these inquiries, the, the, these official inquiries into the activities of the spy cops – is taking so long that we're actually probably going to have a hundred year anniversary <laughs> of when this unit started by the time that we get to maybe tranche three. Yeah, I mean, like you, you, you jest, but I mean, like, it, I think, you know, it's not that kind of like the way that things are going. It's, I mean, it's been seven years, right, since it started. Um, and like, it, the, the period that has been covered so far is like before any sort of um, uh, digitization of any records. So a lot mm-hmm. of the records have been very thin. So the period which, was, which has been covered by the inquiry so far, which has taken uh, this long, has been 68 to 82. Um, the amount of, of, of material for that time period is much less than later periods. Um, so it, it doesn't bode well. Um, there's going to be a two-year break now after this. Most oh my god! <laughs> Wait, a two-year break? Two-year break? Yeah. Wait, yeah, but, but why? Well, so what they're saying is, is, is to give them the opportunity to prepare everything, so that from there on, the rest of the inquiry will take place uh, live in hearing form uh, continuously until its end. Oh my so god! In, so we'll have a two-year break, and then from then on, for months on end, we will have. Daily hearings. Uh, this feels Monday like Thursday. Brace style excuse. It's like I've heard this before, this where a- it's like, it's like, no, no, let's just take the two year break, and then I promise it's going to go real fast. <laughs> this is, once this we is get actually. Back. I mean, no, this is this is a really good tactic, especially. I mean, what what you know? The, the, all right, if if you're coming at this from the government's point of view, um, or at least from let's say even you're coming out from like the SDS, like the you know the 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 police, just the even specific like policemen's, the metropolitan police, whatever's point of view, is you would want this to drag out as long as Absolutely. possible because dragging, stretching it so thin across so many years, there's naturally going to be. I mean that the way news cycles work, the way that public interest works, mm. it's going to die down, it's going to ebb, and people are going to be like. Oh, they're still doing that spy cops thing. Well, that's you know, not only did that, was that ancient history when it happened. That was ancient history when I thought this trial when I last read about this trial. So there must not be anything more important or, or new to learn. Yeah, totally. I mean, and that's the exact effect that I mean you said, where people are like, oh yeah, that's the thing we've always known about, and because right. the thing stretches out for so long, you kind of convince yourself, it, you, you know, you become numb to the to the knowledge. Where it's like, oh yeah, this has just always been common. It's like, no, it hasn't, and it still hasn't, even though it's been going on for a couple of years. Mm. It still hasn't ever been common knowledge, you know? Yeah, totally. And also, people die. Um, you know, lots of people mm-hmm. die. Yeah. Um, 
like since we've had the last hearing, Ernie Tate, who was one of the people who was spied on, sadly died. Uh, Barbara Shaw, who was the mother of Rod Richardson, whose identity was stolen um, by undercover cops and, and used. Uh, she died just a couple of weeks before they decided that it was probably unlawful that he'd done that. Um, yeah, and as people die or people, like cops retire, move abroad, all these kind of things, there's less and less people to carry the can, less and less people to like be annoyed about what's happening, you know. Uh, it's definitely a police tactic. You know, the, the, people often say in Britain that the public inquiries are an exercise in kicking the ball into the long grass. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and it's like a turn you know, of phrase. They, they're always trying to like extend that as much as they can. And yeah, you know, I mean, like it's it's been laughable, like the way in which like the the police lawyers are going, like kind of try and complain about the delay themselves. And like, well, mm. it is going on so long. It's like, it's because you bloody kept dragging your yeah. heels on disclosure, on anonymity, on, you know, so many of these things. So what have we learned from this last uh, phase of, phase three of tranche one? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, uh, I, so this one finally, because the first two were, took place during COVID. So this one actually yeah. looked like an inquiry. So we actually got to mm. see the whites of the in-person, see the whites of the eyes of the, of the officers. And the whites evidence. of the wigs. The whites of the wigs, yeah, and all that caper. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, yeah, there was, it was a full, it was, I mean, it was in a, in a posh hotel uh, conference room rather than in court because it was mm. the size required. But um, yeah, it was actually felt like, felt like it was actually, a, like previously, yeah. I've been going to this viewing room and watching giant TVs of what was going yeah. on. But then really else. It was a really weird sort of interaction. So this one actually did feel like an inquiry. Um, unfortunately, these we didn't hear from any undercover off, like field officers this time. This was all backroom staff. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were maybe a bit more. Um, they were kind of felt less likely to trip up, and it wasn't like ah, it was you. You were the guy who pretended to be the other guy. You know, you didn't have that moment, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, they definitely, you know, I mean, they were more, they'd forgotten more than they'd ever remembered in their life. You know, I mean, it was, it, you know, as usual. <laughs> um, they all denied all knowledge of any of the sex or, I mean, and some of them, they denied knowledge that their kids' identities had been used, which just was nonsense. Um, we did, I mean, like, the things that we did find out were more kind of sideways, really. Like, so there had been a secret hearing, what they called mm. um, the uh Phase four, though it happened before uh, phase three, because I don't know why, uh, which was five undercover officers giving evidence in secret. Um, in secret? Yeah, completely in secret. So we didn't, we don't know their names, their, their cover names. Or, I, I, the, uh, these people, I, I would assume, because of the time period, are, are very likely no longer actively undercover either. Oh, I mean, no, not at all. This is, I mean, they, they were deployed during the 1970s. Exactly. Um, I mean, they were advanced years. Part of their anonymity is that because of their advanced years, they shouldn't be you know, felt to feel at risk at all. Um, I mean, further anonymity has been given because uh, for fear of embarrassing their children, which, I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, like the anonymity, the anonymity is so deep for the undercover cops that they're one of the families of uh, a dead child whose identity was stolen. They can't identify themselves. They, they, they're... They cannot be named, so they can't speak to the press. They can't do any kind of – they can't say this injustice has been done to them because that cop has got anonymity, so they, they can't, they can't name themselves because their child's name was stolen. Wait. Which is just like a ridiculously sick. So their uh, undercover cop stole the identity of their dead child, but they're not yeah. legally allowed to talk about it because yeah. the identity of their dead child was illegally used – or yeah, maybe and that's, gray or I mean, illegally, they, yeah, by an undercover police officer. Yeah, and he's got anonymity by the inquiry. <sighs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> right? Yeah, grim. Yeah, you know. How do you how do you contain yourselves going to, yourself going to these things, man? I mean, this. I is... mean, like, so generally, I mean, I'm quite lucky. I think, thank God, we live in 2022 because I mean, what I can do is like when I'm like you, you listen to the hearings and then you get a break. And you get to go into a side room, and then I can just like stream live on Twitter and go, yeah, yeah. what a bunch of motherfuckers these motherfuckers are. They're disgusting human beings, and they all want fucking shooting. You know what I mean? Like you get, which it makes it a bit easier. I mean, like some, like during this round of hearings, we had like um, a Jeffrey Kraft, who was like a particularly odious senior manager. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whilst we were, we were talking, we were talking about the. Um, 
the infiltration of the funeral of Blair Peach. Blair Peach was yes. a member of the Social Workers' Party who was killed by a number of members of the Special Patrol Group. Um, his funeral was uh, infiltrated by undercover cops who took photographs and built up dossiers, basically on people largely, you know, from the photos taken. It was quite common for people's photo in their file to be from the funeral. Um, when he was asked about that, and maybe, you know, maybe that was insensitive, um, he, in the same room as Celia Stubbs, who was uh, Blair Peach's widow, and like numerous other people who had known Blair Peach were his friends and comrades, so that none of these people really cared about Blair, Blair Peach anyway. They were just using his death as an opportunity to attack the police, and they were fair game. I mean, like the insensitivity of these people is fucking yeah. galling. Do you know what I mean? They're just fucking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, reading through the tranche, it, you know, it's notable how how protective and defensive mm. a lot of these police officers were. Mm. You know, I I, I think mm. I think probably everyone listening out there has done some things in their lives that they're not proud of, <laughs> and you know, sometimes pride does indeed get in our way of admitting that. But you know, there are some things that are so unequivocally and unjustifiably mm. wrong that even mm. if you know, you know, even if in the in the uh, like whatever, in the interest of national security, if any of these cynics actually believe that, uh, you know, they, they can't even recognize that like, oh, we had to do some hard stuff in order to, you know, break up a Trotskyist group of 40 people or, you know, what have you. Um, but no, they're like, no, we, we, we had to do this. This was necessary. That we had to do it. And like, it actually wasn't that bad that we did it in the first place. Like it was totally fine to do. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there was like a quite a significant amount of pride from these officers about the role of the unit, but then a complete amnesia about the specifics of what they mm. did. Um, you know, it just, yeah, there's this complete, you, 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 I'm not, I think I might have said it last time I came on, if you want to see real solidarity, watch a cop being asked about the wrongdoing of his fellow cops because yeah. they will never dob, dob each other in. I mean, like, in, in, like they, in some of the previous uh, phases, we'd heard from former undercover officers who, like, kind of blamed their senior officers for what, they got up to. Um, so, that, I mean, that was put to some of these senior officers that, you know, you were told by the, you, you'd recruited this officer. No, no, that definitely didn't happen. That definitely didn't happen. What, you don't remember? Like everything else you've said? No, 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 I remember. That definitely didn't happen. I didn't recommend that officer. I did. But, I mean, like, as soon as there are any specifics they could be drawn on, there was, no, that didn't happen. Um, but otherwise, I just forgot, you know. Uh, there, there, was, there was a great deal of that. But they were they they were thought that I mean one of the um, uh, David Smith one of the other uh, senior managers you know I mean he opened up by saying that the, the general public would have been proud of the work they were doing because they gave the they, they were responsible for giving freedom to the people of Britain to live in a representative democracy I mean the, you know there's I mean it's long been the case that cops kind of consider any form of left wing activism as a form of criminality. Uh, but like these, these officers like kind of took it beyond that. They, they almost took it personally that people mm. dared to be involved in like kind of movements for social change. Yeah, it, it's funny, you know. A general theme that you can get from reading through this, this, this the tranche is that uh, there's a culture of real impunity there. Oh, yeah. Like there's a, and 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 it's a sort of something that something that comes up a lot is is I mean, and this is also a way of covering your ass if you're in the government. Don't ask, don't tell. Where I don't necessarily believe them. I do believe they were asked and I do believe they told. But yeah. that is always a very convenient excuse if you're sort of a lower or middle level, you know, you know, uh are the are these super grasses or a gra super grass is a guy who snitches. No. Yes, yeah, a super grass is a snitch. Yeah. Well, I okay. mean a super, a super grass would be yeah, yeah. Someone who's who's turned snitch, like not okay. someone okay. Like, not an infiltrator. So I mean, uh, yeah. An infiltrator like this, like, you know, they're, 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 it's a really good excuse because they're like, well, my 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 superior didn't know, and then their superior could be like, well, I didn't tell them to do that, and so it's sort of these things just appear out of the ether, right? Like these things mm. just sort of happen in a passive way in history, mm. and I was, you know, or like accidentally drawn into it. I, I'm sorry, I had a baby with this woman, but like, you know, it's just it's it's just it's what we needed to do for the mission that we were not told to do by anybody. <laughs> so I mean, one of the things that came up quite a lot, and I, an area that we really weren't expecting, I don't think, was the high level of involvement of MI5, uh, which mm. is the security services, which yeah. are like the proper spooks, I guess. Because yeah. I mean, one thing which like some people kind of get confused just to like explain the differences between like different elements of the security service. Um, when we're talking about the spy cops, we're talking about like plod, uh, 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 you know, like proper like cops, you know, yeah. not, not 
these are not specialists. These are not like um, these are not spies. These are not James Bondy type dudes. These are these are genuine cops. Like and the, the, previously, they might have been on their bike doing like the, doing on the beat. You know, the, yeah, yeah. They, they've become reflective they've best. Yeah, right. So they've been pro- they brought into special branches, special branch officers. Then they become the, you know they're already political police. Then they come uh, undercover police, but they're still just cops. Um, MI5 is like the security services. These are like um, these. These are your MI, your, your, your James Bond type. I mean, mm, that's what mm-hmm. they themselves as. But you know, they they, they do um, they're, they're proper spooks. You yeah, know, they're they're armed. They're involved in like coups around the world and all this kind of crazy shit. The security services do. Um, what we've discovered is that there's just quite a large amount of direction from MI5 towards um, the, S- the SDS from the very beginning, really, about asking them to target people, um, you know, presenting lists of people they want monitored, mm-hmm. um, you know, re- specific requests for information. Uh, a number of like the, the former um, uh, officers, back with the senior officers, the, um, the management, like hinted that there was like a two-way street with this kind of information, somehow mm. that like, MI5 were feeding, like they were feeding their information back and forth. But for the most part, they, they, they talk about being a client relationship, you know, that they were going out on, that, that MI5 was their customer and they were going out and getting information for them. But the, the inquiry, I mean, like, the, the MI5 and the Cabinet uh, Committee on Sedition and Public Life, which is like the senior government sort of repression sort of uh, kind of Sinister direction. title. <laughs> yeah. Everything right, yeah, in yeah. Britain has sinister title. Yeah, very. I mean, like this is this is the wider sort of infrastructure of oppression, um, mm-hmm. and we, we like we're starting to see how like these spy cop units were just really just the tip of the iceberg, and that there's much bigger and wider repression infrastructure um, mm. that involves all sorts of other um, sections of the British state. But and, like, because they were part of that, the spy cops kind of felt that they could behave outside the law. You know, they. They broke a lot of like kind of fairly basic kind of common law things about like uh, illegal entry and seizure and trespass, which a normal cop would never be allowed to do. And like technically, they had no legal they had no legal justification for it. But because they were doing work for MI five, they thought they could behave like MI five. Mm-hmm. Um, so this culture of impunity seems to have, I mean, partially maybe come from that. Uh, but the, the, so the, the, these these. The looking at MI5 isn't part of the terms of, of the inquiry, but the list of questions that's come out of this, the, the, the inquiry's like, uh, published a list of like, areas of inquiry. Um, and you know, it's MI5 and the Committee for Sedition and Public Life. What role they played is obviously, it, it's much bigger. It appears that you know, there's much more direction that, the idea that the, we kind of got this impression maybe that these units were set up and they went along on their way mm-hmm. and they just did whatever they pleased and they weren't really answerable to anybody. But we're getting the impression now that there was much more direction of them uh, and they were being given uh, direction, though the specifics of it are quite hard to get out, but that they were being given direction to spy on certain people, spy on certain organizations. Uh, we had like, the, the situation where one of the undercover officers was discovered as having a relationship by some other form of surveillance that was taking place on the group he was infiltrating. Mm. And you kind of get a glimpse of a much bigger yeah. picture of, it's not just like these groups of like a handful of people didn't just have one undercover officer in them. They also had like informers and this thing and that thing and somebody from yeah. like five monitor as well. Um, so you're really getting like a, a picture of, you know, like, it's a wonder that anything <laughs> on the left happened in Britain during that yeah. time period, you know, because the levels of oppression are so high. Yeah, I was going to ask if that kind of, I mean, I don't know if you, I want to call it collaboration. I, I guess what you're saying about it being contracted out maybe probably makes more sense for that relationship between MI5 mm-hmm. and SGS. But if that kind of collaboration is common or like in other instances, or if this is kind of, you know, one of the first where you've seen that like blurry boundary, because I think what you're saying about it hinting at a larger infrastructure mm-hmm. is like a pretty massive breakthrough. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that should be getting much more attention, right? Like, um, you know, MI five, MI six, notoriously opaque, obviously. But mm. that sort of infrastructure, then, kind of like crawling out into the domestic surveillance, I mm. think, would probably or should probably get the attention of some of the British press. You would think, right? 
Right, yeah, totally. I mean, it, I mean, it just isn't. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, I mean, it's really depressing how it isn't, but it, it just isn't. But I agree, it should. And I think, like, the, the, um, what, what it means, what, like, the discovery of this means about, like, kind of how Britain's developed politically over the last few yeah, years. absolutely. And that, like, you know, because particularly when you consider that they didn't do this to the far right. Yes. And, like, particularly when you think about, like, the, the groups that they were infiltrating, like, particularly the early ones, right, like the anti-apartheid movement, the anti-Vietnam War campaign, these were groups with mass popular support. Um, you know, like, it was, it was, you know, it was a mainstream, like, majority opinion in Britain that we shouldn't go into Vietnam, right? That was the, the, those demonstrations were representing the majority of the people. Most yeah. people in Britain, like, at the time... Yeah, you know, kind of different, but like these days, you won't find anybody who's supporting apartheid like South Africa. You know, these yeah. were like these were these were pop, like campaigns with really like large scale popular support. Yet the like the the legacy of them uh, in Brit in British politics is not is negligible. It's non-existent. The people who led these campaigns didn't go on to do other things. They got blacklisted and never bloody worked again. You know, um, like whereas on the right, there's there's no like infiltration of the far right. They're allowed to blossom as much as as they want. They never they never really get that much popular support. But you look at now how like how much they've influenced mainstream politics and how much they've got you know like the way in which Britain was shaped by like the yeah. things like the UK Independence Party and Farage and all that kind of shit. Yeah, I think totally. It's largely because that that tendency was allowed to to blossom, whereas the left was completely crushed despite like totally different levels of public support. Yeah, I mean, well, you sort of have to marvel at that because you know you're you're correct in that. Yeah, I mean, Britain Britain did not officially enter the war in Vietnam, um, and at the same time, these groups that were trying to prevent what actually you know turned out to be the will of the British people were being infiltrated and spied upon and steered, you know, mm-hmm. in this way by the security services of the United mm-hmm. Kingdom, which is it's just astounding. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it it is it is it is a direct intervention into politics in in, in a way that you see, you know, sort of, uh, you know, in, in the obviously, you know, uh, spying on some some small anarchist or communist or whatever group it, it is as well. But but this is something that, like, you know, I, you know, as as much as I hate to admit it, it's very unlikely that a Maoist organization was going to take control of <laughs> of England or really any part of the UK. <laughs> Right. Uh, during that specific period, although of course the terrain has, has changed and it's we're only a, f- a few months or even weeks away from it now, but um, <laughs> you know it, it's sort of just astounding, just like totally like you know they, they were treating these groups that represented the will of the British people, and it d- doesn't even matter if they didn't, but they did, and and trying to steer them and, and, and destroy them and 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 put them in a different direction. You know, one thing that you you mentioned too is is, is like Nigel Farage. You know, you can draw a fairly direct fucking line from the National Front to right. the to the fucking British National Party to what's the other one they had? They have to change their name so much. I think English uh, UKIP, UKIP uh, and, the English Defense League, English like, Defense League. You, yeah, exactly, yeah. UKIP. All of that yeah. is like the same through line, yeah. right? And then you get sure. to a guy. All like, the same guys have been around forever, exactly. Too. You know, I mean, and they might not be skinheads on the street anymore. They don't need yeah. to be. I mean, the, you know, the circumstances have changed, but like. You know, it is it is just a straight line, and like, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, it is it is sort of uh, what, what was their what was their task? I mean, these were a lot of these guys. You know, sort of their foot soldiers were skinheads who beat the shit out of like you know sm- smelly hippies who might want uh, it to be okay for a couple of dudes to you know. Hook yeah, up. I mean, like the, the the violence of the far right during the nineteen seventies in Britain was yeah like significant. There were a number of racial murders. There was you know like they, they were organising race attacks. Uh, people mm-hmm. getting burnt out of their homes. Um, it was quite significant. Um, it was quite telling then to hear like former spy cops managers saying that they weren't a problem. That yeah. the National Front wasn't a problem at the time. You know, which but whereas the anti-fascists were, you know, because they were causing the problem by not cooperating with the police. When they were going out to disrupt national front marches and stuff, uh, but I mean, yeah, yeah you, I mean, you got the impression from the former officers that they were sympathetic to the views of the national yeah. front, and you know, it is ever thus, like, isn't it? You know, D- does this make you, or or has this had sort of an effect on on the left wing in 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 the UK? Sort of going over, tallying the the losses and the victories, uh, you know, of the past. I can't do math since the sixties. 
Yeah, we genuinely have no historical institutional memory. I would say yeah. and that's the that's the lasting effect, right? Yeah. Uh, there's so I mean, like, the Socialist Workers' Party still exists um, from the like from the seventies to now. Yeah. But like, I mean, they're an incredibly problematic organization in a number of ways. Agreed. I mean, like, they, they were the most infiltrated um, with. You know, two me- like two members of their central committee were undercover cops during the nineteen seventies. Um, Incredible. You know, there was twenty four undercover cops that we've know of so far who <laughs> infiltrated the Socialist Workers Party. I mean, they still exist, but like, I mean, by that you kind of wonder if like they kind of exist on purpose because the the and there were, there were so many because it was such the it was always the first place undercover cops would go. They'd be like, oh, join the local branch of the SWP, and then. Like leave that and then join some other left wing group. That was kind of like yeah. the normal path. So they kind of needed the SWP to continue to exist. But other than that, no, none of these other groups really last. You know, there is no institutional memory. I think that's largely part of the reason why it's not a bigger story. Is that yeah. like people have forgotten a lot of these social movements. They've forgotten them completely. You know, um, and they're not. So people don't see the significance of them being wiped out. You know, it's not like the troops out movement. You know, like again. It was not like most people didn't think we should have British soldiers on the streets of Northern Ireland. Uh, sending the troops in wasn't popular. People thought it was, or it was felt that they should be just short term. They should be withdrawn. That movement, which was run within a couple, very quickly, was run by undercover cops who were literally general secretary of the movement, um, and then totally dismantled. But then most people just kind of forget these things were, were, were things in, in the first place, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, in terms of like the coverage thing, we, there was a bit more coverage. Kate Wilson, one of the women who brought mm-hmm. a case, um, was the only one that was able to take it on to the IPT, the Investigative Powers Tribunal, which is like a secret court. Um, unbelievably, won her case uh, back in October. Now, that was, I mean, I think that we've kind of discovered more from that really than we have from the inquiry. Um, mm. There was a bit of coverage of that, still not not that much, but. I mean, that, that was probably the most significant, like, kind of in terms of revelations about how the undercover cops operated um, on, a, like, a day by day. Also, it's a lot more recent because, obviously, she was in a relationship with Mark Kennedy, who was yeah. the, the cop who was, like, exposed whilst deployed. Um, and we got to see kind of his, as, as part of that, we got to see kind of bits of, like, his notebooks, uh, his logs of him dealing with his handlers and, like, just the level to which there was just, like, minute-by-minute monitoring um like a lot of the time um we kind of have this idea of like the officers in the field reporting back occasionally but by the time he's deployed which is like the early 2000s um he's reporting back every like 10 15 minutes to his handler um with text message phone call whatever um all sorts of different methods but like constantly updating at, at all times and feeding information getting fed information about people around him when he's in situations um yeah, we learned a lot more from that than we did really anything else. There is due to be some other cases which should be going, like over the next two years, before we go back to the inquiry again, um, there should be some other things that, that should go to court. But because of the nature of the inquiry, like there's arguments from the police that these things should be like held off on until the inquiry's finished, mm-hmm. which obviously is a farce. But, you know. I mean, I know we've talked about this before, but what, what, do, you, what do you really think... In any concrete, but also in any sort of um, maybe non-concrete ways, although it's a pretty clumsy way to put it, uh, effects might th- these inquiries actually have on both both British political life. I mean, obviously there is not as um, let's say radical left wing there as, as there once was, um, but British political life. You know, the 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 idea of the British public, but also, I mean, there is essentially no chance that any of the actual people involved in these let's say, extra-legal activities mm. are actually going to face any measure of, of justice, legal or social, right? Oh, no, not, not at all, no. I mean, um, the, 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 the most, most we can hope for, really, is, is the embarrassment level uh, mm. thing. I mean, like, uh, so Vincent Miller, who was one of the first officer to be exposed as having had a sexual relationship during the last set of hearings, uh, because... He admitted to deceiving a number of women into sexual relationships after the hearings. His real name was given, which was Vincent Harvey. And it turned out he was quite a senior police officer who went on to run the Serious Organised Crime Agency for a mm. while. Um, like, that's called, like, seems to have called him, caused him personally some distress to be outed like that. 
But yeah. I mean, that's kind of it, right? I mean, like, there's no, there's no like uh, nothing. Like, I mean, still, uh, Andy Davy, as he was when he was deployed undercover, um, Andy Coles is still a conservative councillor, Peter Barbara Council. Um, you know, it's continued his political career. I mean, essentially, what the inquiry does is just keeps the issue alive. Yeah. Realistically, um, if it wasn't for that. I think like it, it kind of solidifies it as fact, and there's still a huge part for those of us who were personally affected. There's a huge, huge part of kind of getting the narrative like on our side. Like kind of this is mm-hmm. fact, right? This isn't some conspiracy. This isn't like oh, who can tell? No, this is like there were this many officers, and they were in this unit, and they were deployed at this time, and they've got names and faces. And just I mean, doing that is a, it's not a victory, but like it's it's an end in itself, right? Yeah. So I mean, like in terms of what comes out of this process. I don't, I'm not hoping for any kind of like useful kind of recommendations from the inquiry. I mean, there's meant to be an interim report that will come out before the next tranche because it's been so delayed. Um, there is, a, I mean, there's a, there's a theory that at a Home Affairs Select Committee meeting in, in Parliament a, maybe a month ago, a representative of the Home Office suggested, floated the idea that perhaps after the interim, after the interim report, we might wind up the inquiry because it's been mm. so expensive. It's been, been just like, shut the just, whole thing down. Just shut the whole thing down, yeah. Too much Not in public interest. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I mean, like, since the inquiry's been called, we've had, like, a lot of um, changes in the law in, in the UK that makes mm-hmm. a lot of this activity legal. Um, there's, I mean, this discourse generally, I mean, there's, like, um, like the Tories proposed like, removing, um, like, the... Uh, the ability to prosecute uh, British soldiers who commit war crimes. Yeah, yeah, um, I remember that. Which was supported by the Labour opposition. You know, I mean, like there's. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's you know, that, that's the kind of level of, of of politics in Britain. So, you know, there, there's a kind of a feeling that it was like maybe it was hastily done this this inquiry being called, mm. and that perhaps it's not really in the public interest. Now. It was out I of mean, emotion. Yeah, right. So like, there is a thing I think that I mean, hopefully, it will. The ego of Sir John Mitting, the chair of the inquiry, will mean it carries on uh, because he's a high court judge or a retired high court judge, and you know, being told he can't do that anymore might might piss him off. But That's- there is a possibility the inquiry just gets wound up, um, and then, like you know, you think people aren't interested now, like see how less interested they are when there's yeah. not some official backing to these facts and figures coming out. You know, yeah. I think it, it's highly likely that it would like the, the issue would die even more without the inquiry being ongoing. First of all, that's fucking insane to me that there's still <laughs> Sir guys there. That oh yeah, man. Uh, uh, yeah. You guys have a the house. Of, I gotta be real with you. I'm kind of play dumb on the show here sometimes, but I know a thing or two about politics. What the the fact that you guys have a House of Lords and that you can yeah. basically just pay to be in it is the most yeah. astounding thing. To me, about I think modern well, now political you have life. Good, anyway. Now you have a new goal. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, so one of the people um, who was uh, one of the things we heard about um, during the last years of the inquiry was the infiltration of the Workers' Revolutionary Party. Who uh, one of the like the main faces of it was Vanessa Redgrave. Um, oh yeah, and her husband, right? Who, right? No, no, Dame Dame Vanessa Redgrave now. <laughs> You know, I mean, like... <laughs> I forget about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is she is a dame. So, like, you know, there is... Maybe there's hope for you yet. Maybe you will end up in the House of Lords one day. I mean, enough, enough other people have sold out enough, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sort of classic trajectory. Well, yeah. Tom, I mean, is there is there anything else? Do you want to let our listeners know about this stuff? Uh, I mean, there's, there's loads of things. I mean, I, I, as usual, I, my general disorganized sort of pattern, I probably missed a thousand things that have happened since I was last on. Um, there will be more things coming out before the next sitting of the inquiry. Um, I mean, not least the, 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 though the, the, um, the judgment's been handed down in Kent Wilson's case, like the kind of the, 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 the full disclosure of that hasn't fully come out yet. So there mm. might be more to come from that fairly soon, hopefully, but, um, it might be a while, you know, like fairly soon in spy cops world is like, you know, <laughs> is measured in years rather than months. But, uh, yeah, if anybody wants to like kind of uh, follow the things as they come out, just follow me on Twitter or check out the website spycops.info. Um, we'll link both. Find everything you want there. We were yeah. still doing the podcast very rarely, uh, but we're still doing it occasionally. Spycops Info Podcast, just subscribe to that. I am. Well, Tom, I got to be honest with you. 
It is a. I hate that we have to talk about what we have to talk about, but it is a delight as always. Talking. As always, yes. Cheers. Well, I mean, on that thing, you, you told me on email earlier that you had a story from me about MDC, who I'm going to see yes. on Thursday. So tell yeah. me about that. Talk about yes. that. Yes. Yeah. We we were we were maybe going to have to reschedule this interview for Thursday. Um, although I don't. Whenever this comes out, that might not make sense to our listeners. But anyways, it's Monday right now. Um, I, when I was in middle school. I was a fan of the band MDC, which they changed what it stood for sometimes, but it was an 80s hardcore band from San Francisco, well, originally from Dallas, I believe, or Austin, um, that stood for Millions of Dead Cops. And I had a T-shirt that I wore in, I think, sixth grade that had, it was half cop and then half Klansman, and he was pointing a gun at the, it's their sort of most famous logo. And I wore it to school, and my principal made me take it off, which in retrospect, well, this, this is pre-Columbine. And, uh, and I had to take it <laughs> off and I was like, what, I can't, wear, I can't wear a shirt that just says millions of dead cops with, with this on it? And I was like, you're trampling on my political rights. So I wrote to Dave Dichter, the singer of MDC, an email, the first email I ever sent in my life. And he sent a letter to my principal uh, saying that it was actually should be okay for me to. Do wear. you have that letter? Uh, I do not, but it used to be on the MDC website. Um, oh, we gotta get that letter back. It, it is. It is. I've tried to find Little it. Baby Brace Belton. I know. Should be able to wear his T-shirt. Yes, and they did not let me wear the T-shirt again. Well. Got it. Unhappy ending to the story. They're great guys, man. Great band. They stayed at my house once years ago. I'm gonna, yeah. They're playing on Thursday night, so I'm going to go and see them. Who, nice. who are they playing with? Oi Poloi? No, they're playing with Zero again, which um, is like my mate's band. That's and the, I try to remember, there's another band they're playing with, but I can't remember who they are. But yeah, they, it, it'll be good. It's in the Exchange in Bristol, which is a great venue. Uh-huh. Um, and Zero again, a great band. They're my mate's band. They like, include ex-members of Grand Collapse. Which okay. Are one of the greatest like uh, punk bands to come out of the UK, the lead singer of which, my dear friend and comrade Calvin Sewell, sadly died a couple of months ago. So I really recommend everybody go and check out Grand Collapse and download all their shit, man. Absolutely, yeah. You heard of here. Finally, we get to a subject that I know things about. <laughs> um, Tom, it has been a pleasure. And, uh, you know, I've had a whales of a time with you. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. If all else fails, try whales. Yeah, man. Classics. Really fucked up by not introducing him the first time we had him on as Tom of Ink. What the, the fuck? fuck was that, dude? Actually, when I was on the train coming here, yeah. lightning. I saw lightning, and I'm Good like, I'm God. on a fucking train. Like, you're not supposed to be on a train in lightning, right? No, no. I feel like that's dangerous. Yeah, I think you're pretty good there. Yeah. What if it hits like the third rail? Wouldn't that like? <laughs> That already has lightning. But wouldn't something happen? Yeah, it'd make your train go faster. <laughs> I don't think so. Anyway, I got real. It was crazy when it happened. That was fucked up, anyway, man. Yeah, that's my story. That was crazy. Um, anyways, <laughs> we should have called him Tom of England. Oh, my God. That's very cute. Yeah, and we didn't. I mean, he's Welsh, so let's not. I don't want to. I don't want. Oh yeah, we. I think we would offend him then if we. I know. I know. I know. But he would get it. It's close enough. Uh, I don't. Shouldn't we just call him Tom of Wales? Tom of Wales. Yeah, I like that too. Doesn't work as well. Welsh Tom. Tom. Tommy the Welshman. I feel like we're just coming up with maybe insensitive nicknames. (laughs) Twelve. Well, if we're coming up with real insensitive nickname, we'd be. Ah, there's that fluent Welsh we were so much about. You can recognize it anywhere. That's, yeah, that's street Welsh. Not a lot of people oh speak that. God. That's the gutter argot. Argo? How do you pronounce that? A-R-G-O-T. Argot? Sounds right. Stumped. No, you're just saying that. You I don't have no know. idea. If you know, don't let us know. Okay. And on that note, I'm Liz. Me name. <laughs> me name. Well, me name is me name is Scottish John, <laughs> and we have with us producer Young Chomsky. 
And oh the God. podcast is called, let's all do it at the same time because it's our three-year anniversary. One, two, three. True or not. I, you didn't do it. Gotcha. That's not a gotcha. You just all right, didn't one do more it. time. No, I'm not doing it this one time. One more time. No way. Please. One, two, three. True or not. Oh, I didn't do it this time. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's just do it one more time. One, two, three. True and on. Oh, we all did it. There That's we go. Cute. Right. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye.